You are Locked On Cardinals, your daily St. Louis Cardinals podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome to this edition of Locked On Cardinals with special guest edition, Zachary Silver of MLB.com joins us for the second time on the show. Zach, thanks for topping on the show to talk a little Cardinal baseball today. Yeah, thanks for having me. I think the last time I was on was probably spring training, right? So it's a nice uh, encompassing uh, thing we've got going on and, uh, you know, good way to start and wrap up the season. Yeah, I think it was it was right around when you nearly when you first started, and it was it was spring training because we were talking Libertor and Gorman. I think a couple of different uh, th- things of that nature, and here we are a couple months later, and a lo- lot of things have <laughs> changed for the Cardinals, uh, especially in the last couple of days. We'll get to the new manager uh, coming up here in a little bit, but I kind of just want to ask you a, a blanket statement for a question first. If, if you had to recap the, the Cardinal season in, in, in you know a minute, what minute, whatever it is, if you just had to give like a quick blurb, elevator pitch. Uh, type summary to the Cardinal season as we get kind of right into the content. How, how would you summarize the season? Yeah, I mean it was you know nothing short of a roller coaster. I kind of I've been working on a lot of off season content, and and you just sort of look at the month by month change in the trend lines of this entire year. It goes from you know getting Nolan Arenado on February first and thinking that there's going to be a championship on the horizon and at least competing for one, and then you start the season off high, start well, you have a few injuries that you work through, but you know you get to June and things just really sort of hit the haywall and, and, and really go poorly. You lose Jack Flaherty, you lose, you know, Miles Michaelis again, you lose just a lot of key members of the rotation. And then just kind of when you think it's all ready to go and just book it for 2022, you start to creep back in, creep back in. And then you sort of the roller coaster hits that peak in September with that win streak and, and they make the postseason. And, and obviously how it ends is a little uh, deflating, but still, I think it was a, it was a worthwhile season to be following um, definitely, you know, made you feel a lot of different things, but in the end, it was still, you know, kind of not where they wanted to be, but is at least in the direction of where they hoped to be. So, um, I think, you know, they, they don't look at this season as a failure. Um, obviously some of their actions this off season make it seem a little weird in that sense, but, um, they still really did value what was sort of built this year. And, and, you know, like with, with you're seeing six gold glove finalists, I mean, that's a good indicator yeah. of at least the pieces are in place for, for what the team hopes is an even better 2022. Yeah, well, the, the six Cold Glove finalists, and I think all six of them have a chance to legitimately win that award, and we'll get into that um, in, in a little bit. But I think that when, when you look at how to judge the season success or failure, if, if you're judging it based on preseason expectations, it's hard for me to define it as, as a success because the the aspirations, once you got Nolan um, and, and re-signed Wainwright and Molina, which are their big offseason acquisitions or movements, was – division championship like that was the preseason expectation but if you're judging it based on where they were at the start of september um or even you know two weeks into september then you judge it as a success do you think that and again we'll transition this into the manager truck but you just think overall as to how the, the season was judged do you judge it more as a success because of the bad june they had to overcome or do you judge it more as a failure because of the preseason expectations weren't met yeah i mean that's a fair question i mean the success is based on just how treacherous it was i mean if they went through this season and comfortably won the division or, I mean, maybe lost narrowly to the Brewers for the division and then lost in the wild card the way they did. If there wasn't sort of the adversity they went through, I think that's where you sort of start to think that how they went about the season's ending was a bit of a failure. So I think when you look at it in that prism, it is a little bit of a failure. And I think there are definitely aspects of the year that could have made it so that it wasn't that treacherous of a path they had to go down. I mean, there obviously could have been moves that the front office made, you know, more before the trade deadline in June when, 
things were really bad. They could have, you know, they brought in someone like Wade LeBlanc, and you saw when they brought him in, and th- things really got a lot steadier, and they could have just used another Wade LeBlanc, and they ultimately got more Wade LeBlancs at the deadline, John Lester and Jay Happ. So um, I think when you look at it from a, a wide prism and just kind of zooming out on the season as a whole, when you look to where they were on February 1st and where they were on October 6th, I think it is a little bit of a disappointment, at least just how it went about. But, um, you know, I think you also have to take in mind just how things sort of unfold um and you know it, it is an interesting conversation just didn't go exactly the way they wanted but the way that it went it, it is impressive how they ended it so um you know there, then there's even then there's a deeper argument there is like the, what they could have done to fix those problems and made it so that the the end result wasn't as you know as deflating as it was could have been addressed earlier so um yeah i mean it, it's hard to in the cardinals will say this that they have championship aspirations every single year and you know you talk about ollie marmol getting the good job he said anything short of a failure next season anything short of the world series next season is a failure in his eyes so yeah um that's just the expectation this organization has and we'll see that kind of play out a little bit more in 22 yeah and i think that the, the offseason will be big too because at the end of the day jay happ and john lester i think did better than what a lot of people thought they were going to do myself included i remember i did a an episode the day the trade deadline with Corey miller of kstk and we were kind of just just flabbergasted as i think <laughs> most of the baseball world was at that trade or at least that the cardinal world was um, I think that this offseason will be telling because there, you can make an argument there are a couple holes to fill in this roster, and we'll get to the front office aspect of the offseason first. But we, we, we've teased it. You mentioned his name, Ali Marmol, the, the 51st manager, I believe, of the St. Louis Cardinals. Before I ask you about Marmol, I, I, we got to talk about Schilt and how that ended. What was your uh, perspective? What were you hearing? Uh, what, what was kind of your takeaways for, from how Mike Schilt's Cardinal tenure ended prematurely? Yeah, really abruptly. I mean, there were rumblings uh, that there was a possibility of an extension. I mean, really, it seemed like there was all indications that, you know, like you said, or like we talked about that, the season didn't go as anyone wanted as far as the, the path they took, but at least the the way that it went about it and re, rebuilding and rehashing the season out to make it to where it ended up was still very positive. Um, so they, uh, so the, by and even John Mosea, like I said to us, that when he flew back with the team, after the wild card game, he wasn't expecting a change in a change in uh, you know in managerial positioning. But something happened in those two two couple weeks, week and a half, you know, eight days. I think was the, was the change between um, when when the wild card ended and, and when Schilt got dismissed. And something yeah. happened in that time span that just seemed to not be you know solvable and feasible going forward. And you know we're not really going to know what it is until anyone Schilt or the organization says it. And I don't think they're we probably won't hear back about that for years and years when they're kind of sitting around the campfire and sharing war stories just because it doesn't really behoove anyone to, to kind of disseminate all that information. And, you know, Schultz kind of interviewing, he's interviewing for other jobs. So it's his, he's, he's got to want to, he wants to keep it professional and keep himself a good candidate for other jobs. But you know, all we can, all we can sort of do is parse the language that they've sort of used in, in discussing the decision. And, you know, something John Mosellock pointed to was player development and maybe usage of players and, something like that maybe wasn't quite agreeable on both sides. Um, but that's, you know, that's just as far as we know, as far as the little nuggets that he's given here and there. You think it was more player development? I, I think that, that, that analytics had something to do with it too, because that's what Marmol talked a lot about, or I felt that he talked a lot about in, in the press conference uh, when, he, when he was announced at the Zoom conference, if you will, of combining, uh, quote, traditional baseball values, as he and Mozilla put it, with the analytical tools that the front office has. Do, do you think Schultz was reluctant to do, use the analytical tools, or do you think it was more the player development that they talked about as well? Um, I think Schultz was actually pretty pretty good with analytics. I mean, he definitely comes from an older school way of thinking. You know, 
defense and small ball and whitey ball and stuff like that are definitely sort of what he loved to do and what he loved to have his teams do. Um, but I do, I do think he did appreciate the analytics. I think he was actually an interesting blend of the old school and the new school. And, you know, there was a little bit of tension between him and Jeff Albert, the hitting coach. And, you know, Mozalek got asked if that was part of the reason why Schilt was let go. And Mozalek said it's not the sole reason. So he did acknowledge that there was some tensions among, you know, someone like Jeff Albert, who is a lot more of an analytics darling than, than Schilt is. And, um, yeah, so I don't think analytics itself was, was the issue because, you know, and uh, Schilt throughout the season, you know, he does acknowledge like hard hit rate, especially with Matt Carpenter in the beginning of the year when he was having yeah. a lot of trouble getting a bat on the ball, he was, or getting a base hit, he was saying, well, he's making good contact and he's doing all the things behind the scenes that he needs to do. Um, so I actually think Schilt was, was a little bit more, not forward thinking. He's not at the forefront of, you know, Kevin Cash pulling his starter after five innings, but I think he was a good blend of, of the human side of it and, and the analytical side of it and making a good product on the field. So um, yeah, I mean, I think there probably was a little bit festering here and there, but it just seemed like there was something that kind of bubbled and the bubble burst a little bit in the last eight, last couple weeks. A quick break in the action between Zach and myself to tell you about Built Bar. Built Bar is the best tasting protein bar on the market. They have nine incredible flavors, and here they are. Coconut, cherry bar, sear, raspberry, mint, brownie, double chocolate, salted caramel, strawberry, orange, cookies and cream, and German chocolate. If you're overwhelmed by all those flavors, I got two options for you. Number one, get a double chocolate. That's my favorite. Number two, get a mixed box. You'll get two of each of the nine flavors. You can't go wrong when you're ordering a Built Bar. Another reason you can't go wrong is the health benefits of these protein bars because they have 17 to 18 grams of protein, 130 to 180 calories, 4 to 5 grams of sugar, and 4 to 5 grams of net carbs. Amazing flavors, all tasty, all healthy. So order today. Go to BuiltBar.com. Use promo code LOCKED15 to get 15% off your order. That is LOCKED15 at BuiltBar.com to get 15% off your order of the best tasting protein bars. And they're healthy, and you can save money with LOCKED15, the promo code to get 15% your order. Get yourself some Built Bars today. We've seen the analytics with Kevin Cash backfire once uh, in, in the World Series a couple of years ago. So maybe you do need more of a blend. And I think that as we kind of, you know, look towards brighter days, hopefully, and not that Schultz tenure was bad. I mean, I did an episode saying that, you know, there's an argument to be had where Schultz had one of the most, was more successful than Mike Matheny. There, there is an argument there, in my opinion, that you, you could twist some words around and change some semantics to, to say that because Matheny did go to a World Series at the end of the day. But Schilt was very successful. He was manager of the year in 2019, broke the playoff drought. 2020, every manager who helped his team make the world, make the playoffs deserves a pat on the back. You throw in the 17-day layoff and the 11 doubleheaders that they played that year, that adds to it. And then this season, helping orchestrate a 17-game winning streak, pretty remarkable. But at the end of the day, you know, there was a philosophical difference. And like you said, we're just going to have to leave it at that for, for the time being. But as we look to, to Ali Marmol and, and as he tries to, to work this transition to the Schilt era, to the Marmol era, um, what do you think is going to be Marmol's biggest challenge? I think it's just funny the way you said the Marmol era. I mean, it doesn't, it still hasn't really hit me, I guess, that this change right. has, has been instituted. I and mean, he's so young. He's 35 years old and he's the yeah. youngest manager in baseball right now. Um, but I think what he's going to be kind of marked as is, is he's he's just he knows everyone. He's been around. He likes Schultz. He's been with the organization, you know, for over a decade, and he's been up through the system. He played my unlike Schultz. The one thing he does have is that he actually played some minor league baseball and some professional baseball. He knows a little bit about the what the players go through as far as their regimen. And and Schultz did you know 
he obviously played baseball growing up, but um, yeah. you know, there's, a little, there's a little bit difference as far as knowing, you know, what, what the professional baseball scene is, sort of looks like. And something also working to all his favor is that he's bilingual. He's, he's from, he's from Florida. He has Dominican roots, uh, born in New Jersey. Um, he's, he's fluent in Spanish, obviously fluent in English. Um, he's, he knows he can communicate with both sides of the clubhouse. And, you know, there is, there is not to say clicks, but there is, you know, the, the guys who are from the Latin American countries definitely flock to one another just because of the language barrier is real. And they, they have the, each other to rely on. They can te- speak to each other, just how to be a big leaguer and how to go about their business. And, you know, that's something that all he can kind of bridge a little bit is that he's, you know, not just been a player, but he can speak Spanish with them and he can speak English with, with, you know, the, the non-Spanish speaking players. And, um, I think that's really something that's important in a manager these days is is communication, and that's kind of what all his calling card is going to be is how good a communicator he is and how good a baseball mind he is. And you know, he hasn't been an M- he hasn't be- managed in the major leagues. He's been Schultz bench coach for the past three years, so I think he's gained some experience there. But I wouldn't be surprised if the Cardinals go with a you know proven, maybe more experienced bench coach to kind of serve behind him to give him a little bit more gravitas from at least the the, the baseball managerial standpoint. So. Um, I think he's just going to be, he's, I mean, he's super great to deal with. He's, you know, he's, he's always got a smile. He's always cracking some jokes here and there. I mean, you know, Cardinals gifts has kind of made him a legend just with all the facial things he's made throughout the season. So um, I wouldn't be surprised if he's quickly become somewhat of a fan favorite. Yeah, I agree with everything you said. And I think that he, he presented himself very well at at the zoom (laughs) conference on his announcement with with, with the red tie and the the, the jacket looked really sharp and everything of that nature. And, um, all the bottles of campaign behind him and everything. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And I, I, I am excited. I think that whenever Schilt was first fired, I, I thought that they would have to go outside the organization because of the, the philosophical differences and you wouldn't be able to live that down. But it seems that even though Marmol and Schilt were very close, I mean, Marmol, I think, was the first person Schilt thanked in his farewell statement. That, that They're very close, a lot of respect. I think that Marmol is different enough that it makes sense uh, that, that Moselock went with Marmol not, and rather than a stubby clap or Jeff Albert, who I know he was rumored to be a little bit. I think, and again, teams will try and sell their their candidate, whether no matter who it is, but most of the time I think you can tell if it's a genuine sell or not, or if it's just, okay, here's the manager. And I think that they're very excited and, you know, this could just be me looking at this new shiny thing, but I, I am excited for the Marmol era. And I, and I think that he, he has, the, he has the opportunity to do well. And I, I want to give you a statement and then I'll give my backup to the statement. I want to hear your thoughts on the statement. Oliver, the Oliver Marmol hiring will help define John Mozeliak's tenure with the St. Louis Cardinals. And the reason I say that is because this is the third time that he has gotten basically to handpick his manager. He got Mike Matheny as a replacement to La Russa. That ended poorly. And then he got Mike Schilt as the interim and named him the head manager before that season was over. And then now he's let go of Schilt and got to pick Marmol. Not to say he didn't consider other options or things of that nature, but I just think when you have the opportunity to hire three managers – um, in, in one tenure over the course of 10 years, I think that one of them has to be successful. And one of them has to end, and again, most of these things, as Schultz said in his farewell statement, do end in divorce, as he put it. But I think you have to have at least one that, that ends in, in with less of a bitter taste in your mouth. I want to, want to hear your take on that that thought. Yeah, I mean, I, I can't argue. I mean, I can't really argue with that because he he kind of, he, I mean, he had Tony LaRusso when he took over as president of baseball operations, and that obviously culminated in the last World Series that uh, Cardinals have won in 2011. And then Tony Le- Tony leaves after that, retires, you know, not now is not retired, but retires okay. for a little bit. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, and then John Mazalik has had, you know, now three chances to, this is his third chance to, to pick a successor. And, you know, Matheny didn't, like you said, didn't go very well. They had the World Series appearance, but other than that, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't a 
that tenure wasn't based in in flowers and sunshine and that was what was kind of weird about Schultz was that it, was, it did seem like a bit of a departure and a bit of a new era that seems like Cardinals are getting back to their the ways of Tony and the ways of you know the past where they were very dedicated to their craft and very attention detail oriented. Um, and I think that's the biggest gamble of this all is that you know obviously the the NLCS in nineteen didn't go as they wanted their appearances in the playoffs the other the other uh, two years under Schultz didn't go the way that they wanted but they at least were putting together the raw materials of a team that felt like it could compete a team. You know, you see Ron Washington, you know, um, on the field with Braves players for hours before the game, just practicing, you know, scooping a ball. And that's the kind of stuff the Cardinals have done a lot. And that's the kind of things it felt like, you know, the Cardinals had more wins this season than the Braves had. And it feels like yeah. they've been in, in that spot if they just had maybe beat the Dodgers and, and kind of gotten on that street. Um, so I, I think that is that this probably is the most important sort of phase of John Mosellock's tenure is that this is the first time he's made a decision that he didn't have to make because, you know, Matheny just didn't really seem tenable by the end. And this was the first time that he's really sticking his neck out there since Tony left and putting his stock into one guy. And that's all Amar Mole. So, uh, yeah, I think your statement is probably pretty accurate and it's going to be fascinating to see. Yeah, and like I said, a nice history in terms of, of signing players and, and trading players. For the most part, you've got your Nolan Arenado, your Paul Goldschmidt, your Marcelo Zuna, at least in terms of on-the-field product. Those those three have been pretty solid that Moselec was was, um, was key in acquiring. But I think that we're going to see Harmal transition from the bench coach to the manager's role. I think Katie Wu asked the question in the press conference of what's that learner curve going to be like, and it's going to be a learning curve for Harmal just like it was for every other manager. One last break in the action to tell you guys about Bet Online. They are back and better than ever with a new web interface for the start of basketball season with more props, odds, and lines than ever before. Bet Online remains your number one spot for basketball and football action this season, so be sure to head over to the new updated desktop or mobile website to sign up today and receive a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Just use the promo code LOCKED ON, L O C K E D O N, LOCKED ON. Get you a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Whether it's basketball, football, baseball, postseason, NHL, boxing, UFC, right to your favorite Vegas casino games. Don't wait to take advantage of all the amazing offers available for the 2021 season. Bet online is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your favorite sports. Bet online is where the game starts. Uh, but let's talk about the competitive teams that that, that have been for St. Louis, specifically the 2021 team. Um, with, with the tumultuous June came a great September, and we, we could probably spend four or five episodes talking about the ups and downs and the roller coaster ride that we went on uh, following the Cardinals this season. But I want to hit a couple of key points, and the first one I want to hit is Adam Wainwright. What can't we say about Adam Wainwright? In my opinion, he's a top 10 Cy Young Award winner. I think he's going to get votes. I think that he stepped up on and off the field because without him, this rotation would have taken a huge hit because you've already lost Flaherty with, with injury for most of the season by the, by the time June came around. What, what, what's your take on what Adam Wainwright meant to this team? Because it, it, in my opinion, it was enormous. Yeah, I mean, if there's a team MVP award, I mean, it's, Wainwright is a runaway winner. Um, I mean, he, I, I, I had a stat at one point that, he was handed, you know, maybe six or seven losing streaks over the course of the season, and he ended every one, meaning that he was, he started a game where the Cardinals at least lost two games in a row, and he won that game or led the team to win that game, and he had an yeah. ERA under three, two and a half um, doing so. Um, I mean, that's, you know, you can obviously someone like Paul Goldschmidt, who is, you know, had a slow start, but then was great, and, and Tyler Neal, who had a great season. 
you know, it's hard to give that nod to other people. It's hard to give the nod to a pitcher who only, you know, appears once every five days. But, you know, I think Adam's sort of contributions in that regard were a little bit more than just what he did every five days. I mean, he was, you know, when Johan Oviedo was pitching, he was Johan Oviedo's mentor and he was just sort of the, the leader of the team. And, you know, as much as Shilton, as much as the clubhouse tried to keep themselves, you know, set forward, it was Adam was just as much as Adam. I mean, Schilt said, Schilt said when he, uh, when they clinched that Adam was someone who he sort of would bounce stuff off and make sure he wasn't pressing guys too hard, make sure he was still, you know, sort of putting, pushing the right buttons and, and pressing the pedal the appropriate amount. So yeah. um, not just from his performance on the field, which was great at 40 years old, um, but the fact that he was just such a rock for this team and, and it, you know, really what they needed it was, was, you know, makes him sort of one of the more impressive pitching seasons I've seen in recent history. I think he was the rock for the rotation. And I think Giovanni Gallegos for the most part was the rock of the bullpen. Uh, because you had Alex Reyes kind of fall off in terms of production late in the year. Hannes Escobrera was was flashy at times, but I think Giovanni Gallegos was to the bullpen what Adam Wainwright was to the starting rotation. And Gallegos had his struggles. He had his his stretches of, you know, looked like his stuff was flat, wasn't there. But I think moving forward, if, if the Cardinals want to stretch Alex Reyes out into a starter, I think Gio slides into that closers role pretty nicely. Uh, I think that, that he, he's earned that over the course of the last three seasons now um, and being effective out of that bullpen two, two or three seasons, one of the two. Um, and I, I think that, that he's going to slide in nicely to, to the closers role. Was there another piece in the bullpen that you thought outperformed Gallegos or would you agree that he was probably the ace of the bullpen? I mean, outperformed. No, I wouldn't say I mean, outperformed him. I'd say someone who definitely turned some heads was Cody Whitley in, the, in those last yep. couple of months. I mean, he was striking out almost half the batters he was facing. Uh, he finally had his feet under him after a back injury sort of derailed his season. So um, I'd say Cody Whitley probably was someone whose stock rose the most. Um, but if you're going to tab a closer for spring training 22, I'd say Gio is the runaway winner right now. Yeah, I was really impressed with, with Whitley. I like his delivery out of the bullpen especially. I think that he could be a key piece in this bullpen that really needs some more stability. When, when you look at it, you know you don't know what, what McFarlane or Garcia are going to bring or if they come back in 2022. So, and, and those were two guys late in the year that, that really stepped up for St. Louis. But um, but I think when, when, you, when you look at this team, it was the offense that produced a 17-game winning streak. And when you win 17 games in a row, a couple things are going to go right. So not to say that the bullpen didn't step up or the starters didn't step up, but I think, in, in my opinion, the the catalyst for that 17-game winning streak was the offense. And when when I look at the offense throughout the course of the year, some guys that impressed me, the three guys that impressed me most were the, were the MV3 of the year, Paul Goldschmidt, Nolan Arnato, and Tyler O'Neill. But let's start with O'Neill first. He really came into his own this season, and you know, even last season they said, "Hey, left field's yours," and and then it kind of wasn't because COVID kind of messed some things around, and the roster was kind of in flux. And then this season, outside of his two stints on the injured list, really took the left field position and ran with it. And and in my opinion, he was the. I don't think there's really too much to to disagree with here. If you disagree with it, go ahead. But I think he was the best outfielder in what turned out to be a pretty dynamic starting outfield when you had Bader Carlson and O'Neill starting on the same day. Yeah, I mean, consistently, you know, there wasn't really a whole lot that was wrong in his game this year. He was great defensively. He was, you know, the swing and miss that he sort of was followed him throughout his career was really kind of gone to the wayside. He was stealing bases. He was making dazzling plays, saving games, game ending plays. So um, I think he's easily the MVP of that outfield. I thought Harrison Bader had some flashes that, you know, his, his July and his September were great, but his August was kind of was pretty anemic and it was hard to sort of make up for some of that, but yeah, um, he, he had some flashes as well and he wasn't just doing it against lefties, he was doing it against righties and he really yeah. took a step forward doing that this year. And um, Dylan Carlson, he had, he had a tough 
tough assignment this year. I mean, he played all three outfield positions. He played when Tyler was hurt. He played when he played left when Tyler was hurt. He played center when Harrison was hurt for a while. Um, and he played right when that was his natural position in, in, in the end of the year. But um, it was it was a tough go for him. I mean, it, I mean, he did very well. He, he was very impressive. He's going to earn some Rookie of the Year votes. Um, but it was just a, it was a lot for Tasker rookie to do, and it seemed like he did it very admirably and did a, a lot of things that you know they couldn't have been happier about with his defense and center field especially. Um, so I think this outfield definitely has the potential to be one of the better outfields in the NL, if not MLB, next season, um, just with the sheer dynamic play of each player and what each player, the skill set that each player brings to the table. I mean, each guy does very similar things, but go about it in different ways. You got pop and Tyler, you got, you know, some better on base and speed with Harrison. And then you got Dylan who just hits for contact and does basically everything you can ask him to do. So <laughs> I think the, when you saw their winning percentage of all three of those outfielders healthy, it was something like 600 more or less. Yeah. I believe. And that's just a sign of it says, you know, if Harrison wasn't hurt for most of the year, then that outfield and that offense could have been clicking a lot, a lot earlier. Yeah. I think Ben Fredrickson of the St. Louis post dispatch said it was, they were like 44 and 26 or something outstanding like that. And I, I think both well, Bader didn't get hurt. And if Bader didn't re- reverse back to 2019 Bader in August, you know, if he had a subpar August and you keep his above, average September and, and July, then I think that, that that helps Bader there as well. I think when, when you look at this outfield, I agree with you 100%. When you say this outfield has the potential to be the best outfield in the National League, if not Major League Baseball, because I talk about this a lot on my show, that each one of them can impact the game at every level, and each one of them, when they're right, is a five-tool player. Contact, power, they can they can run, they can field, they can throw. Like they, they do it all well, and they do it all um, at, at a high level. But we're running a little, little long on time, so we'll switch quickly to the infield. Obviously, we can talk about Nolan, talk about Paul Goldschmidt. Who's one guy from the infield uh, that, that really stuck out to you in 2021? Um, I mean, I'd say Tommy Edmonds' season was really interesting just for the, the trajectory it sort of took, where he started really, really hot, then he got bumped from the leadoff spot. And then yeah. he ended up batting leadoff by the end of the year. He scores the first first and only Cardinal run in the wild card game by <laughs> by manufacturing that run and and taking second and then taking third and 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 scampering on home on a wild pitch. So um, I think he can he showed a lot of the tools of what he sort of has teased and and has you know can be. Uh, it'll be interesting to see how they approach second base next season if they think Nolan Gorman is both capable and ready. If they platoon the two of them. If Gorman's more of a DH, if the DH is around, um, you know what? Because Tommy had Tommy had a far better season as a right-handed hitter. Right. So if you like that look with him and Gorman, then you could platoon those guys easily. And and Ollie Marmol has teased and has acknowledged the fact that that might be a possibility that they do the next season, which they've been pretty want to not do in the past. So um, I think uh, I think Tommy's season was just interesting, just how it went about where he started and finished really strong. And he was a doubles machine, and he was stealing bases. He was the first 30-base threat for the Cardinals since Edgar Renteria in 2003. So um, he sort of, you know, he's a little bit more under the radar just because of how scrappy he is and how he's not hitting home runs and not, you know, driving in runs because he bats at the top of the lineup like Paul and and Nolan are, and Tyler are driving in runs. But I think he's he's definitely providing at least an interesting look where you know it seemed like maybe he was just going to be a super utility guy. He can really, if you stick him one place, he can maybe thrive a little bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think that you know Tommy Two Bags is Cardinal. I think it was Cardinals Gifts who coined that that nickname um, on, on Twitter. But yeah, he was definitely um, an in, intriguing season to say the least. Absolutely, I got got, got two more questions for you um, as as we finish up here. When when you look at the Cardinal off season, like I mentioned, there's a couple spots you can say, oh, they need some help here. If you had to pick 
you know, obviously, hopefully they, they, they make more than one move, but, but one signing, one trade, what position are you trying to upgrade in the free agent and or trade market in the 2021 offseason if you're the St. Louis Cardinals? I mean, that's really the interesting thing about this team is where do you upgrade? I mean, you, you could use another starting pitcher. You really could. You could use a lefty in your rotation. You know, John Lester and Jay App are two lefties, and that just gives you another another look when you go against a team. I mean, yeah. you, need, you, need a, you need one lefty, and, and there's definitely some options out there. Carlos Rodon uh, would be a very fascinating fit from the White Sox, but, you know, there's some health concerns with him, and, and uh, you know, kind of got to wait and see what his outlook looks like. Um, but if, if, if you had to make an addition, I do think they really need a left-handed bat in this lineup. Um, Tommy is just not as good from the left side. Dylan... You know, it's a little bit better from the right side, I believe, but you yep. can't just go with it through a season, especially if a DH is in play with only two lefties, not even bona fide lefty switch hitters in your lineup. So, you know, if if you want someone like Corey Seager, that fills two needs where you add you upgrade your shortstop position, maybe not defensively, but you put a left-handed bat in the lineup, he's going to cost some money, and and it's going to yeah. be really interesting to see if the Dewitt family is is committed to that amount for a player for that uh, long period of time, because you know even Paul Goldschmidt, Nolan Arenado are both brought in via trade and they haven't spent big on a free agent. I don't believe since Matt holiday and signing him after he got traded. So um, that'll be interesting to see if they, if they're in the play for any of the big uh, shortstops like Corey Seager or Carlos Correa or Trevor story. And you know, I think Correa and story would be great fits. And obviously you take those guys just because of how good they are. And you don't worry about the platoon aspects of it, but you know, Corey Seager seems to fit both molds of what they need a lefty and a shortstop this off season. Yeah, I think a shortstop is probably the route that I would go uh, because, you know, Paul DeYoung, I think, is just falling off the table, in my opinion. Um, Edmundo Sosa is a very fine player, don't get me wrong, but I have questions as to whether or not he can do it for 162 at the, at the shortstop position. Um, I think it'd be interesting to, if, if you go um, a Trevor Story route, maybe be the, probably the cheapest shortstop on the market this season because the shortstop market is loaded. And then you go maybe a, a Kyle Schwarber at the DH position or something of that nature. Or if Nolan Gorman is ready, but you don't want to put him at second base, maybe Gorman's your DH to start 2022. Again, assuming uh, that the, the DH is coming, which we, we, we think it is. And all of this, knock on wood, is saying that the uh, we don't have a work stoppage in December. Uh, but that's a whole other discussion as well. Last question I'll leave you with. Game three, the World Series, is um, tonight, Thursday. What have, you been, what have your impressions been uh, of the first two games? When this airs, game three will have already happened. What have your impressions been of the first two games? Yeah, it's been sort of, you know, I think I, I read a, a column earlier today where there was, uh, you know, a, 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 it's been two good games, but now the game has been, you know, closed. It's like, are we going to get a classic World Series? Are we going to get any classic games? So, um, it's been, it was an interesting, I mean, the storylines, at least between the two teams, like Houston and Atlanta don't really get you going too much. It's not Boston, New York, obviously that wouldn't be a world series, but right. you know, not LA, New York or something like that, that, you know, or San Francisco, New York. Um, but even at that point, it's, it's, it's a, it's an inter- interesting dynamic. I mean, I, I personally, you know, I think Dusty Baker is one of the best people in baseball and, you know, I'd love to see him win a world series, but at the same time, there's just so much hard feelings with Astros players and the organization and seeing them win, um, you know, the Braves also, there's some, there's some wonky stuff there. Freddie Freeman though is a great guy and love to see someone like that win. So I don't know. I'm not one for participation trophies, but you know, I almost wish they could both kind of go home with a ring and just all the people in baseball. I want to win at least one world series, get to win one world series. Oh, they're both going home with, with a pennant at the least, so we, we, we can be satisfied with that. Zach, before I let you go, um, what work people will find your work and find you on social media. 
Uh, I'm at, at Zach Silver on, on Twitter. Don't not really big into the gram, but um, right yeah, down, down below. Right here. <laughs> if you're watching on uh, YouTube. I, go, I usually, my, my byline is accurate, but I, I shortened it to at Zach Silver. I have a funny, I actually have a funny story about how I got at Zach Silver. I'll save that for another day, a little tease there. But, <laughs> there uh, you go. Yeah, you can find me there. All right, so we can work on MLB.com or Cardinals.com. Is that right? Yep, Cardinals.com. Everything, everything you need is right there. All right, sounds good, Zach. Uh, Zachary, whatever you want to go by. I appreciate your time, um, and hopefully we'll have a lot of stuff to talk about this offseason. Sounds good. Appreciate it.